Mana 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 this is social discasting welcome to social discasting a podcast where my guests and i discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves i am brandon aka brandon hope you're well my guest is a writer director and someone i've known for a hot minute as we all say please welcome john welcome hey brandon it's great to be here Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Take two of doing this. A little behind the scenes. But we recorded, I don't know, it could have been 18 months ago. This entire year is an absolute blur. Time is elastic, yes. It's a flat circle, as Matthew McConaughey said in True Detective. That's right. So the first fun question, how are you? I'm good. I'm really good, actually. Like everybody else, I'm a little bit isolated, but I'm traveling because I'm doing some posting and producing of videos in Oregon. I do that about every other month, and uh, ironically, that's gone good, probably because where we shoot is pretty isolated, and it's a small crew, and we shoot about five to eight videos, and then they have enough content for a couple months. I fly back. Planes have been about half full, so that's not bad. So how's traveling been, yeah, during this? On time. (laughs) It's amazing because... I've done a fair amount of traveling, but since I've done this in since March, I guess I've been doing this going back and forth. The airline people have been wonderful, and I'm flying mostly United. I fly from uh, Little Rock to Denver, Denver to Eugene, Oregon. And every time it's been on time, and I, I have yet to be on time before that on that flight. Yeah. So I'm not sure if just because of, I'm really not sure what to attribute that to. I have a few airline pilot friends, one who works for United, and he's been furloughed. Two of them have been furloughed, and that's tough. That's really tough, because I don't yeah. know. This is a slow slog to when this is going to get better. For sure. And we're coming up on the busy season, as it were, with all the supposed traveling. And, you know, quite frankly, I hope it isn't a busy season, because it's getting worse. I mean, we're at the numbers right now with... Uh, new cases that are what they were when this all started so but the administration said it's it's just around the corner it's almost gone oops did i say that i'm sorry i didn't mean to fully the political ground there sorry well i know well it's a fake virus anyway right so <laughs> that's right good lord how's the farm going we talked about this before plum hill farm here is good it's beautiful right now i'm looking outside and the fall foliage is not quite at peak, but it's beautiful up here. And, of course, the color is popping because it's a little bit rainy and cloudy, and so that makes the color kind of come out a little bit more. We have two cows now. I don't know if I told you that. We, uh, For those out there in the audience, my wife has an irrepressible rescue gene, so we have <laughs> 19 horses, most of whom are rescues. We have two cows that are rescued. Uh, we have some turkeys that are, if you hear a gaggle, uh, these turkeys are on the porch outside my office window here. And I'll look at them once in a while, and if my voice says something that hits them in a certain harmonic tone, they let loose. So if you hear something strange, it's not me, it's the turkeys. They react to your dulcet tones. That's right. And uh, we have eight dogs. So yeah, the farm is as it always is, both chaotic and wonderful. I love that. That's a lot of competing energies, it feels like. For sure. For absolutely sure. You know, it's funny, too, because I wasn't raised with this. My Dawn, my wife, is a cattleman's daughter, so she, this is old school for her. Me, I came from a, a small little Rockwellian town in Oregon, and, and I always had a dog, so I've always, I've always but just one. <laughs> so, <laughs> I didn't have more than that, so, but, you know, it's funny, it's like the horses, even though there's 19, and we have some acreage here, thank goodness, but they're a herd, and they've been together 20 years, so, so that's why it's hard to think about maybe getting rid of some, because they're all one family, and you can tell they're one family, because they hang out together, they do this, they do that, they pair off, they do this, so they are kind of like a, a horse family, so it's nice to see them all together, and there's nothing like seeing them, sometimes in the summertime when they're, they're on the other, other side of the hill, 
they'll come rumbling over all 19 of them and it's like a shot out of snowy river or something because it's quite quite magnificent so i love that it must be wild too you know just kind of a weird almost like out of body experience your eyes don't believe what your brain is seeing and vice versa it's so cinematic to see that but then actually experience it is an entirely different experience I'm just a little bit geeky weird to where when I see that I have a soundtrack playing in my head. <laughs> so, yeah, it is weird. It is a little out of body, but it's just those are moments where you just go, okay, record this in your head, record this in your head because it's so cool. Don't forget it. Yeah, no joke. Okay, so you're going to or you're planning on in the near future, I think, you're going to a movie, right? The Kevin Costner movie comes out, but uh, Let Him Go with he and Diane Lane. And that looks like a modern day Western. So I'd like to I'd like to see that. But the yeah. News of the World with Tom Hanks, I'm dying to see yeah. Great book. From all accounts, it looks like a faithful adaptation. It was just a striking trailer, by the way. I saw the trailer, yeah. Trailer is great because it gives a lot away, but it doesn't give everything away. You know, it takes you through a narrative strand of the whole story, but there's so much that they don't tell you, which is perfect. That's the movie I want to see in the cinema. That's the one I really want to see. The fact that it's a Paul Greengrass movie fascinates me, too. And the trailer doesn't look like Paul Greengrass, at least. At all. You know what I mean? So, I, yeah, I was shocked, too, but the trailer is beautiful. I mean, just gorgeous. Yeah, I love the fact that it looks simultaneously both a throwback movie in general, but also it feels like, in a way, like a throwback Tom Hanks performance. He's more internalized, and he's really going to have to use that combination of obviously incredible all-time acting ability, but also the gravitas you can't replicate and is so rare. I totally agree. Totally agree. I, I think that's what appealed to me in this. I thought, what an interesting character who goes from town to town to let these little towns know what's going on in the rest of the world. And so he's a storyteller. And yet he's also, he's telling, and we're being told this wonderful story about the rescue of this girl, too. It's just, I love the idea. The book really is quite good. So uh, It looks great. And I'm kind of shocked that it exists, to be honest, because this is, in so many ways, like, not a movie that gets made today. So it's really cool that it exists. First thing I thought of, Brandon, that's exactly what I thought of. I said, they'll never make this. Obviously, is it, if Tom Hank didn't take an interest, they wouldn't. I think also Greengrass, you look at his box office numbers, those Bourne movies really upped average box office of his movies, and that gets that gets movies made today. And I loved Captain Phillips. I thought Captain Phillips was terrific. I still haven't seen it. Oh, you're kidding me. That's a Greengrass Tom Hanks vehicle, and so, yeah, you need to see that. There's a scene that they do, and you may have heard about it, at the end, completely improvised and... Tom Hanks gets onto a, a rescue ship with a nurse paramedic, and she's real. She's actually on this ship, works there full-time. She's not an actress. So her and Tom and Paul, they just said, we're just going to improvise this. You tell me what we're doing, I'll follow. And they shot it, and it's remarkable. That scene is is one of the highlights of the film. It's just so real. It's just so real. You know, it's interesting to me, too, when I'm watching movies and even the best actors in the world, like the people that are just truly the best of the best, and then you see, quote-unquote, real people. It just shows you that no matter how good a performance is, you just can't replicate that regardless of your ability because they stand out to me like a sore thumb in a great way, but sometimes in a way it can take you out of it because you realize, oh, yeah, that's what people are. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think it's that there's some actors that are, have great technical acting ability, and they're very good, and you kind of go, hmm, I admire that. And then there are other people that have that it factor on top of that. You know, you just, they transport you. I just think there's a, you know, Tom Hanks is one of those, kind of like Jimmy Stewart was, and, you know, there's just something about that. They have that thing that's so undefinable. No, I completely agree. I also think, too, that something could be said for what it is to be, in some ways, a great actor could be that you still are 
actorly, which is to say that this isn't real life, this is acting. So you have the Nicolas Cage's of the world, who is truly, in my opinion, an all-time actor. He's incredible. Yep, I agree. Performances are incredibly performative, and they work for him, and I love the choices that he makes. But obviously, there is no world in which, outside of like leaving Las Vegas and a handful of other performances, where you think, oh, this is a real person. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's true. What else are you looking forward to movie-wise? It's hard to say because I don't know what's coming out. You know, we don't have anything till 2021 for the most part. Well, and not just that. I don't know about you, but right now we're inundated with trailers and stuff on streaming. And there's so many choices to watch. And I have to tell you that I, I was fairly taken with The Old Guard. Did you watch that with Charlize Theron? I did. I need to rewatch it, though, because I don't think I gave it as much attention as I needed to. But I really enjoyed it. I love some of the things that they did. It's based on a graphic novel by a guy named Greg Rucka. Yeah. He lives in Portland. I, I have some mutual friends with him. He was a comic book artist and then a novelist. He was a novelist first, and, and uh, now he's done a lot of a lot of his stuff is getting adapted. He had something else recently that was adapted. But I thought this one in particular was a, a great adaptation. Of course, he did the screenplay. I thought the opening scene was brilliant. Not to give that away, but I just thought, wow, what a setup for that. And I thought, you know, we've seen Charlize, and, you know, she can, Atomic Blonde, she can kick butt, and also in Fury Road, which was, she was remarkable. Um, so she's really tough, but she was good in this. I loved all the supporting characters, too. You actually get to know them. I like it. The action's good. Um, I think I'm, I'm going to watch it again. I think they're already set to do another one. We'll see. They are. They've already said that it's going to be a sequel. It's one of the biggest movies to have come out. There's. I got a show that I can guarantee you'll like. It just came out Friday. It is The Queen's Gambit. I've heard of this. Written and directed by Scott Frank. Is that right? Yeah. I know that's right up your alley because he is such an incredible writer and director for that matter, which is to say something. I was just thinking about Godless the other day. Yeah. And I just loved that. I just thought that was amazing. It's pretty great. But Queen's Gambit, based on the book, it came out Friday, and I'd say that it's recording on Monday morning, but I watched every episode of it. Couldn't help myself. It's fantastic. I absolutely love it. It's so good. Okay, that's my next thing then. That's it. I'll watch it this I'll watch it this week. So that's that's perfect. To give you an idea of what it's about without any spoilers, it takes place in the 60s and you follow a girl as she has something occur in her life that changes everything and then she happens upon chess and is just a true natural, a massive prodigy and you follow her rise over the course of like 5 years. And all the while, she's got a massive substance abuse problem. So it's reconciling those two things. It is fantastic. Did Scott Frank write In Search of Bobby Fischer? No. No, he did not. I will get that. I know his name. That is one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. Me too. Me too. Love that movie. They do some very interesting choice. make interesting choices with how she gets better at the game in a very cinematic visual way that works so well. It's just so good. It's funny. I had just read a review last night of it. So the fact that you mention it now means obviously it's a sign I have to see it. So by the way, that was Steven Zalian or Zalian. Who also wrote Chandler's List. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that guy, man, talk about a murderer's row of movies that he's written. No kidding. Good lord, just an all time screenwriter. Yep. Yeah, definitely. I just searched his name just to remind myself of what he's written. And just in like the first, you know, they get the visual on Google. He's written, and this is just just a, a smattering of what he's written. Schindler's List, Searching for Bobby Fischer, Gangs of New York, The Irishman, A Civil Action, Moneyball, Awakenings. Wow. I was going to turn the tables and ask you. Yeah. Was there a defining moment for you, if you can remember, where you knew that you wanted to either be involved in film or fell in love with it or 
there was just a, a crucible moment for you when you were growing up? Or can you, do you remember? And if so, can you identify what that was? That's an interesting question. I've had moments to where it's like watching a certain movie gave me a puzzle piece to realize what aspect of like that's what that is that's what good writing is that's what good acting is i've had moments like that i think honestly it was just movies have just been it from the get-go i don't think it was that i had any particular revelation outside of it was just like oh that's this is what it is yeah so in that regard but i remember watching reservoir dogs and that's what made me realize oh that's what good writing is how about that that's what good dialogue is and it was like a an aha moment. I watched the movie X-Men when it came out, and watching Anna Paquin's accent made me realize, oh, that's what bad accents are. Because <laughs> it's so bad. And also, though, that whole, like, what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning line, that also made me realize, oh, that's what really bad contrived writing is. Yeah. Little things like that. But I will say that a big moment, and I think I've talked about it on here, for me, I was sitting in the theater and within the first five minutes of the movie, I had a genuine revelation in my head of this is what it was like when people saw like Taxi Driver in the theater and they realized, oh, I'm watching a classic film in real time. And that was There Will Be Blood. That was that moment for me. That's so interesting. That's cool. Because that music swells and it automatically puts you in a headspace, which is, you know, what music's supposed to do and it put me in that headspace and i'm like oh this is what this is okay and i was just like giddy i went and saw it the next day again that's so funny that's great what was that for you like you there were a couple of stepping stone moments mom and dad used to take me to the theater a lot so I, we saw a lot of stuff i saw true grit i saw mash in the theater i saw all the disaster movies <laughs> speaking of which i remember and you may not re- recall this but i saw towering inferno I almost watched that last night. Is that right? Yeah, I've got it on my HBO Max list of movies to watch. Well, I like it. It's a guilty pleasure. It's a little dated. But you cannot, I mean, Paul Newman and Steve McQueen are like off the Richter scale charisma-wise in this movie. So, But the opening just shows this helicopter, which is carrying Paul Newman, through the credits over the skyline of San Francisco. But John Williams' music is such a great theme. And it's like it's both announcing something's coming, but it's powerful, it's progressive. And I remember seeing that. Gosh, that came out in, when, 73? So I was 11 or 12. And I remember stepping outside of myself going, wow, so the music is setting the tone here. So cool. And from that moment on, I paid particular attention. It's mostly to John Williams, but but to the music and how it was affecting. And so the other stepping stone for me was Jaws. And my mom and dad read the book, and they told me a little bit about it. They said it can be kind of intense. So... And the movie was very intense, and I, I saw it in the theater in 75 when it came out, and people in the audience were literally levitating during certain scenes, you know, because it was so unlike anything that the intensity of the movie was incredible. But I remember at the end, you were with these three guys through this movie, and they're all very different, but they come together. And at the end, when Richard Dreyfuss' character comes up, and Brody's blown up the shark, and he looks at him, and he says, well, can we get it on those? He said, what day is it, Tuesday? And he goes, yeah, I think so, Tuesday, yeah. And he goes, he goes uh, you know, I never used to like the water, <laughs> Richard Davis goes, I can't imagine why. And John Williams, you know, this movie has been so intense, you're just you're just eaten up inside. And the music has got this lilt that kind of has this lilt seafaring theme, and you're relaxing. I remember sitting there. Nobody moved in the audience during the credits. Nobody moved. And I remember sitting there thinking, okay, those were real people. I miss them already. I feel like I got to know these people so much that I thought about this movie for days, weeks, and months afterwards. I thought, I want to somehow be a part of 
of where I can make that kind of impression art-wise. When you take somebody and you transport them into the story and bring them out again, I thought, I've never forgotten that feeling, sitting there as the credits rolled, thinking about that. That was a seminal moment for me. That's amazing. You know what I think, too, to your point of the characters, for example, it's not a disposable movie at all. It's more than just scares and terror and kind of ratcheting up the tension. It's so well made in spite of everything the production wanted to allow. I mean, yes, no doubt. The movie is the movie because they had to improvise and they had to make things work organically. Yes. And you have that. But then also you have these little moments in the movie, like when somebody talked about, is it a, is that it? It's a great wider. And he goes, it's a thresher shark. And the guy goes, oh, what? Exactly. That line read is incredible. And it's a moment within a thousand moments in that movie that just make it what it is. Yeah, and you hit it on the head. You can't have true terror and true fear unless you care about the characters. Because it takes that kind of empathy with the characters for you to be involved enough to feel scared. That's why the movie works, is because you care for these people. And you care for everything they're going through, mostly through the perspective of Chief Murray. But you're still, you're seeing stuff that, there's a moment when you when they realize what they're in for. You just quoted that moment. And the shark is circling the boat, and Richard Dreyfus is on the top part staring, and he goes, it's a 20-footer. And the camera moves in on Quint and he goes, 25, with three tons on him. And he's serious. And for the first time, there's no levity. It's like, okay, this is real. <laughs> you know? And yeah. the moment is like, wow, wow. And it works. It, like you said, this is a movie that should never have worked. Never. It had everything going against it. And when you see the shots of the shark, I mean, kudos to Verna Fields, who won an Oscar for editing, because she made that movie work. She made that shark work based on how she cut it. And I just thought, wow. It's funny almost to say that movie shouldn't have worked, which is funny because, first of all, out of how productions go, that one truly should not have. But it's also funny, like, every movie is its own little miracle, so none of them should work. So the fact that any of them are good, let alone extraordinary masterpieces is just truly wild in and of itself. I love that, what you said. That's really important, I think, because there are a lot of people who say, that was an awful movie when people walk out of the theater. And if you talk to any filmmaker, even the actors, they go, look, this is so hard that nobody goes out there to make a bad movie. Everybody's on their A game. It's just that, as you said, there's just so many elements and so much serendipity and connective tissue that have to come together to even make it good, let alone a masterpiece that... It is miraculous. I bitch and moan about some movies too, admittedly, but it's not its not out of anger, it's out of, like, disappointment. Yes. Like a disappointed father or something, because I just want them all to be good, while at the same time, of course, if they're all good, none of them are good and all that. You gotta have the good to appreciate the bad. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, both of you and I go in there rooting for the movie to be good. Yes. In the beginning, all the time. To be continued. 